Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore aficionados from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, apparently, today I'm Matt Rossi. Well, yeah, I was just reading the this. part of the part of Matt Rossi played today by Matt Rossi, <laughs> and we are going to be joined today by our special guest, Crow. Uh, yeah, thank you for coming and joining us. Always a pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much. Now, for those of you that don't know, Crow is is well-versed in the lore of, well, a lot of things, not just Blizzard. Uh, and we've had Crow on before, and I think uh, some of you may remember. And if not, you're in for a treat. So we have a bunch of questions that we're going to get to today. And uh, thanks, everybody, for sending those in. We appreciate it. And for those of you that think you annoy us with all your questions, doesn't bother me at all. Keep sending them in. I love them. It is kind of what we do. It is, it is our primary function. I mean, if you, you don't write us letters, I mean, we, we'll, we'll come up with something to talk about, but it's not like it's a problem. It's kind of helpful. But before, doing it. but before we get into dive into those questions, I do want to ask you guys, have you been doing anything fun this past week? Uh, Rossi, you go first. Why would you do this? Come on. Courtesy. Why? Why cur- would you do this? It's a courtesy. That's not courtesy. <laughs> That's throwing a grenade and then going, oh, hey, you take it. No. Uh, I've been playing a lot of 8.3. Um, I, upon, I've seen to have come upon a completely different perspective than like a lot of people on the internet, which isn't tremendously surprising. I did, however, do one thing that I'm going to talk about. It has nothing to do with lore at all, but I'm going to talk about it. I got my shoulders. You did. That's what I was hoping you were going to bring up. I'm so excited it's for so you. so fantastic. That's incredible. Yeah. It only took me eight freaking years, but you know, hey, whatever. It's finally done. As um, as somebody yeah. who farmed the Dark Shaman Transmog for four hundred and sixty-two days, I feel you. Oh, dude, don't even. Let's not. Okay, four hundred and sixty-two days 
is is like a year and a half. This is eight years. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it was worse, but I'm just saying it's in the vein. Especially when I saw oh. somebody get get the drop three, four times in a row. <laughs> oh, see, because that's the thing. That's the thing that really people I loved about this whole time that I was trying to get my shoulders was all the people who'd link me their shoulders. Yep. Oh, I, yep. I, I am Force aware. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's finally over. Steve Denuser will now just have to mock me for my appearance, like everybody else, because the shoulders, at least at last, are finally mine. And I don't. I'm spending a lot of time coming up the transmogs for them because I don't think I'm ever going to transmog away from them. And the best part for me was people on Twitter going, you can get that model from something else. I'm like, it's not the same. Do, do, do you understand? Like, I didn't want them for the model. The model, frankly, it's not that great. It's okay, but it's not the best shoulder armor Blizzard ever made or anything. Uh, I want them because they're named after me. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to have another item named after me in a, in a major, you know, MMORPG. So I kind of want the ones that are named after me. And eight years down the road, I finally got them. That's, that's it. It's, I did, wasn't looking for the model, guys. I already had the model. I've had the model for eight years because uh, I, I got those shoulders from, from that raid at the time because I was tanking it. It, it was very much the name. <laughs> so, yeah, that's done. So, yeah. Um, at this point, I don't really have anything else to, to obsessively hunt for in the game. There's nothing else I really want. I'm not a mount collector, and I have, like, the, the mounts that I wanted anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'm done with that until something else comes along and makes me obsess over it, which is fine by me. Quite frankly, I, I'm okay with not having that monkey on my back anymore. Crow, what about now, you? Yeah, let's move on to somebody other than me. <laughs> um, so, so like one one of the one of the great sins of my existence is that uh, I actually have not been leaning too much into World of Warcraft lately because I fell into a rabbit hole filled with cat girls and bunny girls called Final Fantasy fourteen. Ah, yes. Um, but but you know I I made a concerted effort to come back this week you know not only with 8.3 dropping but also because there's just a notable amount of content in Battle for Azeroth that I haven't completed yet so the thing that I focused on when I came back was I had never actually done the Night Warrior scenario um, so I went ahead and 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 you know leaned into that and it was it was a really interesting experience to go through and realize no they could have made this much more cinematic. I, I know that they did everything in-game, and it, it didn't look bad. It looked good. It was well-performed, and everything about it was all right, but it was definitely, we are going to give the Night Elves a victory, and we are going to give them, you know, as as almost as pyrrhic of a victory as we can possibly give them without burning down their tree again. And that was something about that experience that was that was striking to me at the time, because it's just like, come on, guys, can we give the Night Elves a win at some point? Just an unambiguous win? That'd be that'd be great. That's actually pretty cool. It's it's nice to hear that from somebody who because I I haven't stopped or taken a break, so it's nice to hear somebody coming back and getting their take on that. Meanwhile, this week I've been uh, prepping for Nihilatha, and I I took a screenshot of this the other day and I tweeted it out. Whoever designed and painted the skybox for that raid, I just want to hug them. It is freaking gorgeous. No kidding. Jeez. Like the 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 way in in for me because of like the art side of things, I love when people use purples and pinks and oranges because you don't see them used in concert very often and having it done to that skill level just 
I mean, chef kiss. Yeah, definitely. But with that the said, game, the game keeps the game keeps getting prettier. I mean, that oh, is one thing that does. you can definitely say about the game, regardless of anything else. Your feelings on plot movements or lore movements or anything along those lines, you know, is obviously a matter of debate and something that obviously Lore Watch as a podcast has existed for for a long, long time. Um, but but the art of of Warcraft, the art of how this game looks has just been it has never gotten worse it has always gotten better and it's hit some incredible highs before and then just keeps topping it like i still go back to mists of pandaria and realize wow there is lots of pretty stuff here and i wish i didn't have to leave i also wish we didn't like destroy the place but i wish you know we could just retire here and be okay and i'm so happy that the veil is fixed now that's a weird thing to say because for me uh that was warlords yeah. Uh, yeah. Warlords was yeah, very yeah, pretty yeah. too. The looks. Uh and not only that, but it was it was where I actually did retire a character. Uh I was I was raiding on a Draenei warrior at the time. And as I was playing the game, I kept saying to myself, "Why would I leave? Like I've come to a place where here are my people. They they haven't been slaughtered. Um they're not dead." It was very easy to justify him staying there, and that's when I switched actually. It was do you, if you remember the Legion, before Legion actually came out, there was the invasion event they were doing where you could do it at any level and they were hitting like Hillsbrand and mm-hmm. all the like Helcular would yeah. be like, you know, there. And that, by the way, that was the funniest thing ever when Helcular would be like, go forth, destroy these impudent invaders. And it was like, geez, Helcular, you're at a 12 <laughs> um, and I'm going to let you stay at a 12, but you're really at a 12. Um, but. <laughs> I remember thinking there's no reason for me to bring my Draenei to this. My Draenei is done. He's done his bit. He's, you know, my, can I, I, when I was playing him, I always played him as being really freaking old because I figured he was one of the old guard before they all got super light happy. Um, so yeah, I retired him and I started this night elf thinking, Oh wow. Legion will be a great expansion to go in. as a night elf. And I've had some thoughts about that since, <laughs> but yeah, that's so I, I leveled her from one to like, I think it was like was it was 100 going into Legion, right? Legion got you to 110 at the yeah. end. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I, I leveled yeah, it from right. 1 to 100 doing those invasions and it flew by. Yep. It just flew by. I was like I was like I remember being level 95 before I even realized it. Like I I don't even think it took me a week of just doing just the invasions when they were up. Cuz remember at first too they they paced them and then as they as they went on, they got faster and faster until they were happening almost continuously. Right. Uh, and by the time they were happening almost continuously, I was gaining like five, six levels in invasion easily. And that's, this is at higher level. This isn't like, you know, when you're, when you're like level 20, you do an invasion, you can be, you can be level 35 at the end of it. This was more like, you know, okay, I'm going in at level 70. Okay. I'm level 75 now. And there's another invasion. So I'll just go to that one. Okay. Now I'm level 90. It was really, the things just went super fast. So, I I, re- I remember the devs at that time were even saying that you know yeah th- maybe this is going a little faster than we intended but we're not going to do anything about it because people are having a lot of fun so you know yeah sure if you guys want to level an alt now is a good time to do it feel free. Speaking of fun, I think it's time <laughs> to get into some questions. Oh okay, yeah, let's let's pull the <laughs> pull the lever on that. So the first question comes from Jay. Quick question about the Forge of Origination and the time the Tolvir activated against the Thunder King. My understanding is that Uldum used to be a jungle, but this event turned it into a desert. Am I wrong in thinking that that's where the desert in Tenaris comes from? If so, then was Silithus also reoriginated and turned from jungle closer to Unguro to desert? 
How come this recrimination didn't destroy Cthulhu? Or am I not understanding the story? Hope this makes sense. Yeah, who wants to start on on that one? You're not incorrect. Um, the reason the reorigination didn't destroy Cthulhu is that A, Cthulhu was protected by being locked in a Titan facility. Just like the the, the, the Tolvir were protected by being inside the Forge of Origination. Uh, essentially, it, 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 it wasn't the full power of the Forge, and it was still enough to turn pretty much everything in the area around it into desert, except Ungoro. And again, you'll notice Ungoro is protected by Titan pylons. The Petri dish of the Titans didn't get affected by the reorigination blast in much the same way. Titan facilities and Titan technology were sufficient to protect it. Now, the Mogu, being Titan beings, would have been protected had they used the Forge of Origination against their enemies had they seized control of it. And they would have been protected from it had they been in their facilities, but they were invading Aldum. So they were standing around on the outside, completely vulnerable when they got hit. And it wasn't just the Mogu, by the way. It was also the Zandalar. Yes. The Zandalar suffered tremendous losses as well. Um, and it's one of the reasons, actually, that the Zandalar switched their attempt at conquest in a different direction after that that happened. It had long-term effects on them and their stability. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely a case of, you know, the the, the uh, Tolvir wouldn't have used it if it was going to kill them. They used it knowing it's not going to hit us because we're inside it. And it didn't hit any of the other Titan facilities because remember, when we use the Forge of Origination this time around, it's revealed that they have to network it to other Titan facilities to get the power necessary to use it. Um, there's not enough power in the Forge of Origination to use the Forge of Origination. The whole thing is one big system. All those different Titan facilities, the ones up in Alduar, the ones down in, in you know, Aldum, the ones in Aldemon, all of them, all these Titan facilities are effectively connected. And all we right. talk about in, in patch 8.3, there's a whole scenario about that right like they talk about that and specifically the halls of origination because you go there a few times as you're doing your intro stuff to 8.3 and at this point i think it's past spoilers uh it's been over a week uh so you know i think it's safe to we're not going to go into too much detail but they talk specifically about that and when you're dealing with the 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 halls of origination in general and why you're there why you're trying to get it back online and everything else they specifically talk about trying to tune in the power because where it is right now, it's an all or nothing thing. Uh, or as they've seen in the past, if you don't do all, it's sort of ineffective. You know, what's really interesting too is, is since we're talking about that, I'm going to bring this one up. You find out that the, one of the reasons the Mogu wanted the forge was because they had figured out how to use it in a pinpoint way. Yep. That's, in fact, yeah. the whole bit about why we're using it now against Nazoth is because the Mogu had figured out how to use it as a weapon. It's one of the things the Mogu were great at, and they'd figured out, okay, we know how to aim this thing now. But they didn't get it because it got used against them, and they didn't have the force to take it at that point. Um, and that's the interesting thing about all of this, is the Mogu were ready to go. Uh, because of and and it, that's probably in great part due to what Li Shen took out of Raden. Oh yeah. He then he had the ability to you know interface with and understand their equipment. Uh, you saw how he was using the engine of Nalak Shah himself, and that's the thing. We go to the engine of Nalak Shah for the power to use the Forge of Origination. So, 
the the mogul were all set. If the mogul had actually taken the forge of origination, they would have had their hands on a button which would with which they could cleanse the world of all fleshy beings. Yeah, or just the ones that they you know irritated them, or just the cities, or just whatever they yeah. wanted. They they essentially yeah. at that point had the golden eye laser. Yeah, and so it's it's a lot of people are saying things about why you know how come we're using the forge this way when we never used it that way before. Well, that's covered in this story. That the quests do if you actually read the quest text. Or if you even just listen to the things that Magni says to you. And I know that's hard because every time Magni talks, I start doing a Sean Connery impression, except it's a terrible Sean Connery impression <laughs> because it's just it's just him as a Russian sub captain. Yeah, pretty much. But but nevertheless, Magni is explaining the whole time what's going on. He tells you. So that's something to keep in mind when we're doing all of this is that there is actual evidence for what's going on is in the quest text. So, you know. And now you said that. Now I just want somebody out there to make a machinima called the hunt, the hunt for Red Nihilatha. <laughs> well, get started, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> what about you, Crow? Be, Any- be the change you want to be in the world, man. <laughs> what about you, Crow? Anything? Anything you want to add to that one? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm immediately distracted by recalling how awful Sean Connery's Russian accent was in that film, and like, even <laughs> Sam Neill was more convincing in every possible He's way. Good but that's okay. Azeroth cries out in pain. Seriously, tell me it's not worse. Oh. And, you know, I've got nothing against you, Carlos Locken. I think you're a great voice actor. It's specifically Magni, because you've done other dwarves and they haven't bothered me. Magni says everything. Like, Magni is one of those characters who who says everything like he's just about to pee himself. Yeah. And <laughs> that's fine. Like, when he says it quietly, like the, the, the scene in Stormwind where he gets Fearbreaker back, he's fine. It's 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 when he's yelling at you that you're like, dude, dial it down. And considering that we mostly interact with him in stressful situations in which there's a lot of yelling. Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of understand it. <laughs> Meanwhile, where Carlos is, that's always my motivation. Every other every other dwarf I do differently, but Magni is like, oh, he's gotta go. He's gotta go right. I have to imagine that you know that that's that's one of the things that you do when you're a voice actor is like what do I do to make sure that this character sounds distinct from other characters that are similarly uh, that that have similar qualities to them and it's just like this guy's got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, we found out the real secret of Nihiloth. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> but yeah, but I the hope- real secret of the real secret of Nihilatha is there are no. Uh, but I, ho- I hope I mean, that there's, answers. There's no the- Titan facilities. <laughs> But I hope that answer. Well, we don't know that yet. We don't know if Nihilatha is a weird, twisted version of a Titan facility because, and this is something Matt pointed out a long time ago, when we're dealing with like the Heart Maiden, the Maiden of uh, what is it, the Maiden of Vitality, and we bring her back online, and she's starting to go through all the Titan facilities. We know that there's more old facilities than what we've seen or what we know about, and we don't know where they all are yet. There's tons of them that we don't know where they're named, where they are. Uh, and that's made very clear from that. It's entirely possible that Nihilatha is, you know, the twisted, mutated version of one of those facilities. Or for that matter, I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. One of the things that you get from the quest, uh, if you listen to Rathion and you listen to other people talking, Nihilatha isn't actually there. Yeah. It's not a place. It's essentially, it's like an extra planar rewrite because remember if you go back we've talked about this before if you go back to to nizoth every appearance nizoth's ever made every every time he's been spoken about 
the Emerald Nightmare, all of that. Zoth's goal has always been to rewrite Azeroth to be the Black Empire again. And the Nihilotha that we experience, the raid we go into, isn't a real place. It's an extra planar backup copy. It's this is what I want the world to be. It's the thing he's going to use. It's effectively, you have to think of the Forge of Reorigination here, the Forge of Origination as a 3D printer. Yeah. And Nihilotha is what he wants to print. And Azeroth is the resin. Yeah. That's what, you know, and it's a terrible metaphor, but that's where he's it's not, going though. with this. No, I mean, but you, the, the re, it's a good thing that you bring that up because I was actually going to bring that up too. Because when you go through Nihilatha, when you first see it, the first impressions that I got this week from poking around on it on, on Wednesday was that it reminded me incredibly of Aldir. Like the layout of it, the weird, like the, where, the way the pillars were spaced, the way the rooms and, and layout was moved around, it reminded me very much like a corrupted. Nazoth, Nihilothan, you know, version of Aldir. So the fact that you're saying that he wants to, like, recreate it in his image and sort of, like, use Azeroth as a resin, that kind of makes sense. And then when we talk about that skybox and you start looking at it and you see the the hills, those rolling mountains that remind me very, very much of that first glimpse you get of High Mountain uh, when you're looking at, like, the, the mountain ranges in the side, but more tentacly. Like, it's a perfect metaphor for that because he's not just... He's not corrupting it. He's remaking it in his image. So I thought it's it's an interesting an interesting thing, I, I believe. But I hope that answers your question, Jay. If you haven't played through the, the 8.3 intro stuff, I highly recommend it simply because it gives you a lot more specifics about this type of stuff. And it's sort of very cool reveals when they come up. Next question we have is from Candy Pop from Stormrage. Do the Troll City names, Zulfrak, Zulgrub, etc., have anything to do with Zul, who we killed, or is Zul like the troll word for city, uh, and this guy's name just meant city in troll? No, Zul is the troll word for great. Yes. So, it's like, like Zulfrak is great Farak. Uh, Zul Amon was great Amon. It's essentially saying, you know, this is the, it's like the greater metropolitan area type thing. Or almost uh, like a Zool is, Zool is the great. The, the, um, for instance, uh, Zuljin, um, his name, the, the Zul and his name meant, you know, great. I forget what the Jin meant. I have not looked that up in a while. I, I'll go look that up now while we keep talking. But yeah, it, it just means great. It's like, you know, yeah, that Zuljin guy is great. Zul is the great one. You know, it's that's a, that's all it is. The greatest, often imitated, never duplicated. Um. Which is is demonstrable by the fact that you know Zulfarak, Zulaman, a lot of these places are like the principal central locations of these particular uh, tribes of trolls. But you know that they that they have other cities, that they have like other you know um, other settlements. Like you know, we know the Amani have Jintha Alor in the hinterlands. Uh, we know that the Gurubashi have more places other than just Zulgarub. So there's there's lots of other places, but it, it feels like the the Zul prefix ends up being used in a city context. It's used for this is the place that is you could consider it the capital of this tribe to a vast extent. So I think yeah. that that's, that, that's probably the methodology there. Yeah. And if you look to about if you look at a, a Voldun, not to interrupt you, but there's Zul Ajin in, mm -hmm. in uh, Voldun, and there's also Atal. 
Ayin is Atul Aman there as well, which was where the Amani lived before they moved out. Ah, right, uh, right. And over the, you know, the, the northern areas. Because keep in mind, at one point, all trolls lived around uh, the, the Zandalar. Like, they were all there. They were all effectively part of Zandalari culture. And then they left and they spread out across the world. Uh, various places... They, they basically, it feels like, and this isn't stated in game, but this is purely just a theory of mine based on the fact that the Zul prefix got applied to places like Zulgarub and Zulaman. It's like they didn't dare call their cities Zulaman or Zulgarub when they were living around the Zandalar. But once they broke away from the Zandalar, they could, mm-hmm. use, the, they could use the prefix. They could say, this is Zulaman. Uh, so that's just... But that's that's the theory, but we do know that the word is essentially just means great or or you know the great one. Or or it can also be used to refer to uh, master tool master as well because mm-hmm. yes, th- absolutely. There is um, a bunch of voodoo masters in the WoW RPG, which I know is not canon, but they're borrowing enough from it that I basically consider it so. Uh, where Zul was used to basically as a prefix for voodoo master. Uh, it's also similar to uh, Atal, like you brought up, where Atal can mean devoted to um, or in honor of. And so, like, you'll see, like, Atal Hakar, you know, devoted to Hakar or in honor of Hakar. Um, Atal Al, devoted ones. Like, uh, trolls are very big on using those prefixes to sort of signify the importance of something. Yeah, and it's also an interesting thing. Um, this is when I just I was looking at the the thing online, and I remembered this. You guys remember getting your mallet of Zulfarak, right? Yes, I remember the mallet. I might still have the mallet. When you get it, you have to get it at the altar of Zul. It's just the altar of Zul. It's not the altar of Zul anything, and it's almost po- certainly not an altar dedicated to the, the Zul the prophet, because it predates his existence by some time. Mm, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, Why is it the altar of Zul? Is it named after a specific troll? Is it named after a god? Is there a god who's just called Zul? Uh, or is it like, is it like the thing where sometimes instead of saying a god's name, they'll they'll use like a, a euphemism for it? Like, do they just say the Great One to, rather than saying the name of whatever god they mean? Like, is it dedicated to that mysterious death, death Loa whose name I can never remember, or Mala or something? Moizala. Moizala, thank you. It could be that. But we, there's like, there's the whole, um, there's the Empire of Zul, yep, which was a coalition of troll tribes, you know, during the Akir and Troll War, which th- essentially was just, you know, called the Empire, the Great Empire, because it was all trolls. It was all troll tribes working together to try and dis- destroy the the, the uh, Akir, and that's the word again it, it means it has multiple meanings in, it's a very flexible word but it, it doesn't just mean city you know yeah but i was gonna say interestingly enough too that you bring that up i remember something as well where zool can also be used without the apostrophe to denigrate because uh, i remember zulfi being used in game to refer to like corrupted voodoo masters like basically baby witch or bad witch um i remember that which i thought was always interesting so it's a you're right. It's a super incredibly versatile word. Trolls they have a very interesting language. Who would have thought? There's there's a linguistic quality to this that uh, that I think is interesting, and we're we're limited to an extent because you know in in English, you know, letters don't necessarily have a lot of different when when you arrange letters into words, they don't necessarily always have different meanings. Like you have some homonyms and homophones that are out there, but you don't 
but the, but it isn't something like you have in Chinese or uh, or Japanese, which obviously, I mean, even actually, that's a terrible example to bring up in particular. But brief explanation: um, in Japanese, you have a specific kanji that you know you can read them one particular way in Japanese. You can read it a different particular way in Japanese, or there's even Chinese meanings that are associated with the same kanji that that in context makes sense but but if you if you trans you would never you wouldn't translate the same kanji into the same words in english necessarily because of how the context would be different the point i'm trying to make is that we're seeing renderings of troll language you know all written in you know our real world english so that we're able to read it and and obviously it's being developed by people who for whom the primary language is english but i i think there's a possibility that that there are linguistic uh, uh, complexities to troll language that we don't really see communicated in game that might help to differentiate. Well, the prophet Zul, uh, you know, has Zul rendered this way in the troll language, but then all of the different Zul cities would have their names spelled in a way that differentiates those two. So even though it looks like Zul and it sounds like Zul when you say it, but contextually how it's written might be communicated differently. So this... it's like, oh yeah. This is kind of interesting when you think about um, the various Elven languages, mm -hmm. because uh, Darnassian and Shalassian, which is the the Nightborn one, and Thalassian, which is the High Elf, so now both Void Elves and Blood Elves, all use the word Quell. Yes. And the word Quell essentially means high, but it has a lot of different contextual meaning depending on what you're talking about, but. For an example, uh, Medivh called the, named the sword that Anduin Lothar used Quel'Zaram, which meant the high blade in Thalassian. Now, we know of two other blades with the Quel... Quel'Salar? Quel'Sarar, yep. Quel'Dalar. Yep. And both effectively mean, I think Quel'Dalar means the sister blade, but it, it, it would obviously, Quel means high. It doesn't mean blade. Whereas, but I think that what you're talking about here is like a word that can be used to mean, you know, high as in lofty, or it can be used essentially to mean a sword. And there's, there's a lot of interesting interplay because one of the things that Elven would be derived, derived from, from Trollish, even if the elves don't want to admit it because oh, the, yeah, the, ancestors, the ancestors of the elves were trolls. Yep. Um, so, if that's the case, if Elven is derived from Trollish, then you're in a situation where, again, the fact that words can have these like contextual meanings based entirely on their use, that's not that different from modern languages. It's just not a very... Languages so, derived from Latin don't do that, but a lot of other yeah. languages do, even even Indo-European languages, like you know, Greek even Here has some of that. Here's something I really always wanted in the game, and this question sort of brings me back to this a little bit. Um, sort of a weird tangent. So when you played other games, some, some games actually like bring in linguistic experts to make a language, like an original language that makes sense in context. And, uh, my, the best example I can think about that is uh, far cry primal by Ubisoft. They actually had somebody who their entire job was to create a language that was capable of being understood without being understood uh basically you didn't have to know the words to understand intent but it was an actual Actually, language that what's interesting about that is that language is based on indo-european yes 
Uh, it's based on Proto-Indo-European, actually, yes. which is a thing that they've been doing for years. But you're reminding me of what Bioware did with Jane Empire. I was going to bring that up as well. Yeah, that was the other one I was going to bring yeah. up. Is but one thing I mean, I've always... always I've always wanted them to do that is like I I mean you know I know that Star Wars had Michael Okuda pick up, and I know that before Michael Okuda, James Dewan was actually the guy who created the original Klingon. Mm-hmm. That was Scotty made that up because that was he was a linguist. Uh, and a signal, he was a signal core guy in the war. And it was actually James Dewan who did that. I've always wanted them to hire somebody to do it. And then the, to make like Duolingo for Azeroth. Yes, I was because I, exactly you know. the point I was going to get to, like you and you and I are in the same wavelength here, because that's something I've always wanted. And it's because over the years we've seen not just with the trolls, but the elves, uh, we've seen some very interesting, like we've seen the root of what could be a full-blown language and I would love to see them at some point have a linguist come in and actually make them like into full-blown logical languages or at least the, the 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 framework for one and I would I don't know about you guys but I would absolutely like buy those primers and those would those would be things that I would go through and read and and enjoy not just because it adds an interesting depth but because I think it adds sort of like a unity going forward for these races in the game that I don't want to say they don't have, but... Well, no, I mean, it's fair to say that, you know, look at dwarves. There's, like, a few dwarven words. There's not very Not many. much. Yeah, we don't have much of it. Like, I mean, like, we know Cadgar means keeper of secrets in dwarven, but that's basically it. Um, no, sorry, it's the other way around. But Eve means keeper of secrets. Cadgar means, like, honest. Yes. Trust. That's right. Trust. Yeah, trust. So... Uh, we know that there's a few, but there there really could be a lot more, especially at this point. You could just sit down and like, especially with elves, you've seen a lot of it because there's so many different like elves in the game. Like, mm-hmm. there's like the horde has m- almost more elves in the alliance at this point, which is just okay. Um, but <laughs> there, there's there's a ton of elves. There's a ton of elven languages. They all kind of look enough alike that I don't get why no one can talk to each other. Like, I'm sorry. You haven't made Thalassian different enough from Darnassian that a night elf and a and a blood elf couldn't have a conversation. Yeah. If if a Catalan speaker can speak to like you know somebody who speaks uh, you know Spanish from Mexico or Bolivia, I was then, just going to say something like that. Yeah, yeah. Then a night elf like, should be able to talk to a to a blood elf. Yeah, and that, that's something that's something that I would like to see addressed at least later on is because and this is me as a a Hispanic uh, Spanish speaking person. Um, and my wife, who's also a Spanish-speaking person, but we have two different uh, dialects, we can still understand each other for the most part. There are things that, that get lost in translation, but I'd love to see something like that happen in-game where, like, you know, Thurisia, like you have the Thurisian and the, the Queldorai, and they're, like, they're just talking to each other, and they're like, oh, okay, and they can actually communicate in their native language and not having to actually use common. That'd be cool. But... Moving on from there, we do have a question from Neo Penguin here. Uh, a question for Lorewatch. After last week's episode, y'all made me have pretty uh, y'all have me pretty convinced that the big bad will be Tehran for for the expansion after next because the jailer is looming, you know. So do you think this would could occur? It would set up the alliance to get that deep story that only seems to come with interesting horde bad guys. I'll let you have this one first, Rossi, since uh, I know you have strong oh, feelings Crow, about else. Crow is here. Why don't we let Crow <laughs> talk for a bit? <laughs> um, that's I, how it I, feels I man <laughs> <laughs> there's a nice grenade for you to jump on have fun girl mm, grenades so delicious um 
I actually have been thinking about this a little bit because I mean, especially with just going through the Night Warrior thing, it's like, you know, this this is the moment that that really gives a great deal. It puts a lot of attention on Taranda and has her grow past this notion of being this this, you know, loyal and, you know, completely faithful priestess of Elune. With everything that she's been through in the last couple of expansions, it's like her faith has been tried again and again and again. And she, you know, basically gives up on it and decides I'm you know, I'm going to do this night warrior thing and I'm going to kick the living daylights out of everybody who tries to stop me from kicking the living daylights out of the horde because screw those guys. They burned down my tree. Um, I don't know if that necessarily gets to the gets to the extent of of being uh, of, of Taranda becoming a opposing force for the Alliance in addition to being an opposing force for the Horde. But I also, I also really hope that there's a way that we can have somebody on the Alliance have a heel turn. Like half the people on the Horde have had a heel turn so far because yeah, I, 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 I'm, I want that to happen, not because I want anybody on the Alliance to go bad, but because if having somebody on your faction go evil is the way to get good character development on your faction, then the Horde has had plenty of that and the Alliance has not, and I'm interested to see the Alliance get some of that. Taranda is probably closer to it than any of the other leaders we have right now, but that you know isn't something we have to limit to just leaders. We could always have like new characters crop up and become... You know that kind of opposition in the future. Like, I'm not going to say I want Talia Four Dragon to have a heel turn, but I also wouldn't say no because you know, awesome girl with a big hammer, whose daddy is the king of the dead. Sure, sure, yeah, she can she can go evil and awesome. I'd be okay with that. I, I I'm definitely on board with the idea of having a more complex character development on the alliance side. And I understand the sentiment that Neo Penguin's getting at here. And th- I'm saying this as a Horde player, predominantly a Horde player. We have had a lot of really interesting character development. Heck, even the end of the Alliance War campaign was basically just another excuse to watch a Horde story finish up. Because that's what it was. Uh, and while I love that, I do feel that the Alliance over the years haven't really gotten that sort of depth that that I think players really want. And I'm not saying that there isn't story there. There is. And the, what's there is, is definitely, it's good. It's just, we want more of it. And we see some of the seeds that are starting to be sown right now. And we talked about this a few episodes ago where we're starting to have sort of that tension with Anduin, right? Where all of his leaders are, they're not in agreement anymore. They're not just falling in line. They're not just, you know, accepting what he says as, yep, well, I'm going to do whatever he says. He's the high king or, or the leader of the alliance. So sure, why not? But you have Gen Greymane, who's been hurt and wounded so, so much at this point, almost lost everything three times over at this point, uh, you know, of course he's going to be complicated and he should have some feels and, and some character development. And he, over the years he has, he's developed from a one note, aggressive, you know, dog to, you know, something more complex, having emotions and Tyrande, who has largely been, I, I don't want to say up until this point ineffective, but she's been very straight and narrow. Like there's one path. This is how it's going to be. That's the end of it. Now she's starting to understand that the path that is sometimes you are given isn't the path that you have to walk or that you should walk. And I would like to see more, maybe not necessarily of her being a big bad, but I wouldn't mind a story of her going rogue or her going, you know, a little bit too far into the night mother's embrace. 
you know, may we, cause again, we know Alun has abandoned, uh, or at least that's the feeling of it because that's the predominant story that we're getting from the forsaken elves that were raised. Uh, and that's the story that we get from, well, Tehran at this point is that Alun has abandoned her people. Why? What if that leads her down this really dark path and we don't know what's going to happen with Shadowlands. We know she's going to feature predominantly. We don't know what's going to happen there. What if that just leads her to make some really dark and really like revenge driven, desperate decisions. It doesn't necessarily have to be evil. And and that's the thing. Like it could be complex and I'd like to see some of that complexity for her because I honestly think she has that potential to be even more interesting of a character, kind of like how Jaina got that depth through adversity. Uh, I'd like to see Tehran do that a little bit more, too, because I think it would be cool. I think that'd be nice. And like you said, Crow, I, I would like to see maybe other characters step up through the alliance and sort of feed that because essentially that's what Garrosh was for the Horde, right? Like he was he was un, I hate to say like a new character, but he was really like he was introduced and then became incredibly prominent and then had this incredible arc one way or another, whatever you feel about it. It was definitely important. And at the time, like when he was introduced, he was new. He wasn't anybody that had been there since, you know, orcs versus humans. So I'd like to see more depth. I'd like to see more interesting things happen with Alliance specific characters. I think it's their time. I want more Alliance centric story. Yeah. I, I will now that I, that I've gotten you guys to talk some, because <laughs> didn't want to go off before the other guy got to talk. Uh, first off, I don't think Toronto is going to be the big bag at any point. Big bag, geez. The big bad <laughs> at any point. I think that Taronda is has always kind of been the person who does what she thinks is right, regardless of the cost. I mean, if you go back to Warcraft three when she like, you know, tells the Sentinels, get out of my way, and when they don't, they die for it. Uh Taronda is not somebody who's ever been afraid to, you know, make a decision and, and go with it. Uh, so that's the first thing. I think that everything we've seen so far has been in line with that. It hasn't really been a change in her personality. It fits what we saw in Legion where she's given the option, you know, you have to, you know, you can go deal with this thing that I'm doing, or you can come save Malfurion. And she picks her duty. She picks going to stop Ysera over going to save Malfurion because Malfurion can take care of himself. And more importantly, she is the high priest of Elune. And the interesting thing here is that we, what we've learned in this expansion is that Elune is not a simple goddess. Uh, because the Night Warrior isn't giving up your faith. It's mm -hmm. picking a different aspect of your faith to focus on. Because the Night Warrior is still Elune. It's still the same goddess. It's just... There's that old thing. I used to say it about Superman all the time. A lot of people don't understand it. They always call Superman the Big Blue Boy Scout. And the thing about Superman is... He is the big blue boy scout until you anger him enough. And then he's the guy who punches Mongols so hard that planets crack around them. He's the guy who can beat dark side to a pulp. He's both of those people because that's a, there's a, the old Sam Vine saying from uh, Terry Pratchett, you know, if you're ever like, if someone's ever got you like staring straight down the barrel and is going to kill you, pray it's an evil man. Pray it's somebody who wants to get you in their power and gloat over how they've got you. Because a good person who thinks you have to be killed will just kill you and move on. That's where Taronda is right now. She thinks the Horde needs to be killed. 
she is not subtle about this th- this thought. She does not trust them. She does not believe that they won't just come back in a year or two or three or five and do this all again. And what evidence does she have of that? The entire history of the franchise. There's never yeah. been a franchise. There's never been a point where the horde doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. It can say, "Oh, we, we're going to council now. We don't have a war chief." From experience, every single time the horde tells us, "Oh, we're going to be peaceful now," you know, though, you know, sure, we we did a lot of bad stuff when we were under the horde, the orc, the uh, blood fever, but now, now we're we've unified to fight off the legion, and now we're good. And it took five years for them to start being aggressive again. You know, four years have passed, and then okay, we're going to start like attacking alliance bases and hoorah for the horde, and that continues. And from the perspective of the alliance, they have how many destroyed cities that they can look at and say, okay, you that one's you too. Um, I mean, they destroyed Stormwind at one point, but okay, that was a different horde. That you know, we're different now. We've changed. Oh, you kind of destroyed Gilneas. Okay, okay, but that was Garrosh making us do that, and you know. Oh, you also blew up Theramore. Again, Garage. Okay. All right. And you just burned down not you didn't just burn down the tree. Could we, we make the jokes and talk about, you know, oh yeah, they'll burn down another tree. There were thousands of people on that tree and you you killed them. They're dead. Yep. You marched right and, and on the way to do that, you destroyed you poisoned the people in, in Astranar. You burned the entirety of Darkshore on your way up to burn uh Tildrassil and kill all those people. So you killed a bunch of other people too. And, and you, know, you can't really think, pin that on anybody else. Yeah, well, you can. They're gonna pin it on somebody else. That's that was Sylvanas's fault. But who made the plan? Sarfang. Who you know whose idea was this ultimately? Yeah, Sylvanas was like come up with a plan, but it was Sarfang who did it. And in order to do it, he dishonorably attacked Malfurion from behind. While he was basically gonna wipe Sylvanas off the face of the planet. And, you know, we can say, oh, she's got her new spooky power now, but, you know, she didn't think she could win. Which is kind of funny when you think about it, right? Like, Malfurion, I think about a, Malfurion a fight at, between... I wouldn't put anybody up against Malfurion and Stormrage and think they had a good chance of winning. No, no. He's yes, more powerful guy, than people give him credit for. If that guy decides he's going to wipe something out. The problem Malfurion has is he always wants to try and do, like, the he's, right he's thing. Trauma- traumatized from the one thing he did that kind of had some significantly bad effects that time he blew up the planet and we keep forgetting that that was Malfurion who did that mm-hmm. so you know you know yeah yeah my bad on that one he's he's so that there's Tyrande's got a lot going on in terms of that that's the thing right now there's there's a lot going on that I don't think makes her a bad person. And I think in a way that's better for storytelling. And it's one of the things that I think people kind of miss about Sylvanas is Sylvanas quote unquote evil. Yes. And she always has been, Yeah. but what she's doing, it makes sense from her perspective. And that's the thing. She's not, she's not a, you know, mustache twirling supervillain who gets off on hurting people unless they're people who've done something to frustrate her. But I, I think the the real moment to, to note is when at the end of 8.2.5, when you go see Sylvanas, if you're a Sylvanas loyalist, if you go see her at Windrun Aspire, she's like, you know, I really did want to help them. And she's talking about the Forsaken. I really did. I understood what they were going through. I wanted to, to make it stop. 
but one way or another it's going to stop and you her plans aren't as simple as as you know i'm bad i do bad things she you, what we're going to see in shadowlands is going to be like what exactly is her vision what is she doing and and we talk about that a lot like the reason that sylvanas is such a good villain is not because she is mustache swirling it's because she's complex yes she's evil her motivations definitely have that that tinge to them but she's complex. She has a lot of things, like you're saying. Her plans aren't simple. It's not, you know, I have sharks with lasers on their head, give me $1 billion. It's a long game. It's plans within plans within plans. And it makes for a very interesting villain, a very interesting foil. And I think Tyrande doesn't have to be evil to be that same level of complex and interesting. Well, yeah, and like you said, it's that, that motivation, right? <laughs> She can be, like I said with Vyam's uh, quote, she can be a, you know, quote unquote, morally a good person who cares for her people and, and wants to things. do what's right for them and decide I'm going to wipe out this place the Horde holds because they're a danger to my people and they've been proved to be a danger to my people how many times? So, yeah, you thought Camp T was bad? Say goodbye to, like, I don't know, all of Ashara. You should just, every Horde base in the, in the zone of Ashara gets taken out. And you I could think, see her doing that, and you know, it would be mass killing, and that's it's a bad thing to do. It's an evil act, but it makes sense from her perspective. Well, especially with Kalimdor in general, like I could see her trying to push the horde out. Well, right now she's sitting up on Mount Hyjal. She is canonically in control of Hyjal. Yep, she's in the high ground. She What's literally she, has the high yeah, ground. She, yeah, she's <laughs> looking down at every horde. You know, as Shara and Orgrimmar are right there, underneath her. Hmm. I think we've talked about this before that it's quite possible that she could like start dropping fireballs on the horde territories from up there. Well, especially I I was gonna say, because you have, we talked about this before with like fire druids, right? That's one possibility. But also the thing that I think is overlooked while Tehran may not have been like the biggest fan of like mages at first, her outlook may have changed. And she's sitting on literally a font of arcane power. We should talk about that. Um, they they put in an, at the end to Darkshore. Go for did it. Did you see that? Uh, Crow, you saw you saw that that they put that in. Uh, no, I think I may have missed that one. Help me out. Okay. They put in an, a new ending quest to Darkshore, where after you know after a victory, uh, I think maybe they put it in to coincide with heroic Darkshore. I'm not sure. But after victory, you basically um, Maiev grabs you and says, "Yeah, we're gonna go listen to Taronda. She's got some stuff to say." And Taronda basically says, "You know, thanks to you know you all here, and thanks to our allies, the Worgen, and thanks to all of the efforts of my of our people, we've reclaimed Darkshore. We have the Horde attempted to slaughter us and steal our land, but we have pushed them out, and you know we will continue because we are the Kaldari. And it's not a big deal. It's a very small thing, and I do think it it." It's one of those moments where I, I find myself saying, what, we, we couldn't have cut one of the sad orc cries over, like, you know, massacring people to get a full rendered cinematic of this or even just an in-game cinematic of this. Uh, but at the same time, I still find it like it's good progression in that it closes the books on that. It straight up tells you the Night Elves won Darkshore. That, Which is that good. Battle, you know, and it's in-game, so. The thing about that is one of the people who's there is the high is that arcanist uh, Mordant Evenshade. I want to say his name is the highborn magician, the one that first goes to Darnassus all the way back in Cataclysm and is like, hey, we want to rejoin. We want to be night elves. Yeah, Mordant, Mordant Evenshade. He's there. 
Oh. He's at her side. Oh, he yeah, he's the leader of the Shendralar. Yeah, and he's there. Like, he shows up. There you go. At the ceremony. And, you know, I mean, that's one of those things. The, the, we keep thinking that the night elves that we have are the night elves we had in 2004. They're not Or anymore. even 2002, you know, but they're not. They've, this is it. I think between this and the high, the high, the nightborn, the thing with the nightborn was a pretty big blow. Um, the fact that they joined the horde and gave the horde that much more arcane power. And they already had quite a bit. And then this, I think at this point, the, the night elves are absolutely not going to look their noses up at the arcane anymore. They not only know what they what it can do. Oh, they know you know how dangerous what? It is. Yeah, because he was at um he was at Ashwood Depot, wasn't he? In in the Dark Shore, the Battle for Dark Shore, he was there fighting. Yeah, and now he's there. They they're not. It's interesting because you know for for ten thousand years, this civilization of night elves, the Calderai, turned their backs on the everything that like the the Nightborn held dear, everything the Highborn held dear. They turned their backs on the Arcane, and now they're in a position where they may start using it again. And if they do, that's going to change the fabric of their society. And you know what? It makes sense too, because if they're in a position where they feel that Alun has abandoned them and like part of the, part of the reason that they, they moved away from the arcane, if I remember correctly, and it's been a while since I was a, a, a night elf main. So I will, I will look to you, Rossi to keep me uh, honest here. But I remember like that was the big debate uh, when the mages were first trying to essentially uh, seek audience with Tyrande and become part of, you know, Night Elf society again, become part of the Alliance again, was, you know, this big debate between we don't need the arcane, we have the light of a loon, but now that light of a loon is gone. And like that's that's been such a key feature. Well, if they don't have that anymore, what other argument do they have left? Like you said, like, all this devastation that they faced, everything else that's happened, why wouldn't they welcome it? Why wouldn't they welcome power? Well, I think that people are overstating the idea that Alun has abandoned them. Like, the idea is, when Taranda says, when she says at the end of uh, this expansion, she's like, why did she allow this to happen? Well, and It's not that I mean. Alun isn't there. It's not that Alun isn't there. It's that, why is this what Alun wants? Why, why you know, because the Night Warrior... Taronda didn't just ask for it because remember everybody else who's asked to be the night warrior died. Yeah. They got blown the heck up. Taronda didn't ask. She went to Aluna and said, you will give me this. I am doing this. You picked me. And that's the thing. People forget this. Taronda didn't want to be high priest. 10,000 years ago, it was Elune that came to Taronda and not the other way around. Taronda, there was already a perfectly viable candidate for high priest, and it was Maiev Shadowsong. Maiev Shadowsong had been a priest for years. Maiev Shadowsong had been the the high priestess's right hand. She had every reason to expect she would be chosen to be the high priest. And instead, Elun went and picked this novice who'd never been like any more than just like a minor priestess at a minor temple and made her the high priest. And that was totally not something that, that Taronda had ever asked for. So Taronda's relationship with the loon has always been different. And it's because it's been around for so long. Mm -hmm. It's been all we've known for how high priests should act and how it is. But if you go back to the war of the ancients and you look at, um, I think her name was Dolana or Dola. Can't remember her name. I have to go look it up. Sorry. I'm old, but (laughs) her relationship with, with the loon was very different. 
and it was much more along the lines of a passive, you know, taking in what a loon says. Toronto's never been that one. So when it looks like a loon has faltered or turned away from them in some fashion, Toronto is going to demand answers. And the, the, the night warrior ritual is actually very much along those lines. It's her saying, you're going to give this to me. And again, they have a clear example of a loon's power because it's permanently freaking eclipse time in, in dark shore right now that the sun doesn't get to be there. The moon is just in front of it all the time. And that's pretty weird. Yeah. That's not it's what moons do. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I honestly do find myself wondering like, you know, where this is going to go. And I do think it's going to tie into the Ardenweald storyline. I think we're going to find out that a loon's power in some way has been compromised. Um, by the same thing that's you know created all the other problems, the soul drought in Ardenweald. But we don't really know much about that yet, obviously. It's one of those things where, you know, the insistence throughout the history of the franchise, really, uh, the insistence at saying that Elune is, is is most definitively a god, and all of the other things that are referred to as gods or godlike beings, you know, are are still not necessarily gods. They're titans or they're very powerful demons, or they are titans who are bossing around a lot of demons. But a loon was always something that that was established to be apart from all of that. A loon is a god in in uh, in some manner, and the fact that we've never really had a clear explanation for what that means or what she is, and I always I always love going back to Anne's you know past theories about uh, about a loon being a Naru because that would be something that would totally make sense. But now that so much of that seems to have been disproven. Um, Although really, you can't well, really argue the fact that the tier of a loon reactivated a prime narrow. Yeah, no, yep. that's still definitely there. I, I shouldn't say disproven as much as complicated. Um, it, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, wait, what? What is going on? And so, where is a loon in all of this? And it also makes me think about how, like in Warcraft, orcs and humans, and in Warcraft, tides of darkness, when you uh, when you're playing humans and you spawn a church, you hear them, you know, speaking Latin, and yeah. the manuals had lots of references to angels and and yeah, know, because God. yeah, Pro- Proto WoW was based off of the definitive, you know, God and Devil track, more or less. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that you know, but you can tell that they started moving away from that and focusing on the light and not not wanting to do a lot of overt sort of Christian stuff because of concerns about it, uh, about it causing, you know, publicity issues. But you know, now you have the situation where we're asking a lot of questions about a loon that you could hear people asking about, you know, the Christian God to a certain extent. It's like, why does God let this happen? Uh, why does a loon let all these terrible but, things take place? It, Except here we might actually get answers, which is nice. And I, and I think one thing I want to just key in on that Rossi said that I, I find is, is, Absolutely fascinating. And it's something I've been thinking about for a while, too, in specifically in regards to the Tear of a Loon. The Tear of a Loon was corrupted, not switched to a dark cycle, not not voided out, but corrupted in a weird way when we saw Xavius uh, using it, which, you know, like I said, it, you. You or like you said, makes the relationship a lot more complicated. If this is a piece of like a divine entity that could be twisted and like molded like that what does well, that here's mean? a weird here's a weird thing too to think about when you're thinking about that 
how did it get cleansed? Like a loon could just cleanse it. So yeah. Nazoth could corrupt it and like how much could cleanse it. How much energy did it did it expend, or how did it happen? Like anything like yeah, that. Well, just to think about that. Nazoth may not have been the strongest of the old gods, but he was an old god. Alun is capable of undoing his work. Well, and that's why, like, I think the thing you're keying off of with Ardenwald is important too, because that corruption mirrored what we were seeing with the nightmare, the Emerald Nightmare. And if Alun is tied in some capacity to Ardenwald or in a similar fashion with what's what's happening there, like that would make sense to me because of how that that sort of all went down, because the corruption of the Tear of Alun was more like the Emerald Nightmare corruption uh, for obvious reasons instead of just flipping to void. And if you look at the Emerald Nightmare, it wasn't just void. It was almost like this reimagining of of life, very similar to Nihalatha. So like when you're going through like the Ilganoth fight and you're looking through that corrupted world tree and the heart of Ilganoth and everything around it, it's not just like, oh, this is a void Tyrannosaurus Rex now. No, it's it's this is now aggressive and mutated and changed, fundamentally changed from what it was originally intended to be. It's not just like void elves that are like, oh, my skin's now voidy now. Sweet. It's not like uh, Locust Walker, who's, well, I'm a void ethereal now. Sweet. Or even what we saw with uh, the Seat of the Triumvirate where that, that sort of corruption by the void was was not necessarily a corruption, more of a, a consuming. It was more of like a perversion. So if that can happen to a loon, maybe she is tied more to the Emerald Dream and possibly Ardenwell than we can possibly right now fathom. And I think that I'm would sorry, be absolutely I'm sorry, did you say something after Void Tyrannosaur? Uh, a couple of things. I lost it at that point. <laughs> No, seriously, though, that was, I'm like, and going, what, we, we can add a void, void Tyrannosaurus? Why, why, no one told me that. Well, um, maybe it'll be a mountain in the future. I think, I think that that's an interesting thing about this Shadowlands expansion that's happening, in that we're, we're not going back to the same old stuff that we've seen over and over again. It's not going to be the Legion again. It's not going to be the old gods again. Uh, for better or for worse, this realm of death that we're about to experience is new and different to us. It's content we've not seen before. It's not rooted in any of the old Warcraft games, except in the most superficial, like, you know, we knew this, but all this other stuff we had no idea about. And I think that that's the interesting thing about Ardenweald is Ardenweald is very clearly the flip side of the Emerald Dream. Mm -hmm. It's like... It's, the primal it's, version of it. And it's where the power of the Emerald Dream comes from. And it's, you know, because life comes from death. And that's something we started seeing signs of in this expansion with the the Drust and the, the Kul'Tearan kind of druids. Kul'Tearan druids are very clearly death-based. Oh, yeah. Dr Drustfire drove that home real quick and real, real up front. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of interesting things about this um, that I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shake out. And it comes back to that question about Toronto, but I think we're going to see Toronto learning more about there's stuff even Toronto doesn't know about a loon because it's not, it's stuff you don't, you don't ask your God these questions, you know, you don't, there's no reason to, your God is your God. Um, so th there's, this is, this is, we're in a fascinating period of time. I'll put it that way. I'm suddenly just very strangely tangentially reminded of Star Trek five, the final <laughs> frontier where Shatner's sitting there being like, what does God need with us? 
Clearly, I want to go somewhere. What's wrong with you, man? Clearly. <laughs> something, God, something, whales in space, something, something. But yeah, but that's, uh, a, that's, a very, that's a very modern perspective on deity, the idea that your deity can do everything. Uh, we've yeah. never seen, the, you know, there's a thing Velen, of all people, said. It's like the light does not, does not operate unopposed in this world realm. It's like, you know, yeah, the light looks out for us, the light protects us, but the light isn't, this isn't a guaranteed win for the light. If it was, there'd be no point to fighting it. Yep. You know, the, the, the light and the shadow are in contention for the souls of all existence. You know, these things are fighting. They are opposed forces. And that's never not been there. Like we talked about, you know, that whatever a loon is, it isn't a titan. It isn't uh, a loa. It isn't anything, you know, well, it kind of is a loa because the word loa, loa just, just means, just means powerful yeah, thing. Yeah. Anything that we should worship. Anything we should respect is a loa. The the trolls look at you know night elf wisps as loa. They're not necessarily top tier ones, but you know it's nevertheless. So there's an interesting different worldview, and it's really fascinating to me to think about how did we get? How did the night elves get from that worldview to the worldview they have now? And and what is the tomb of the temple of Elune that we saw in in Legion? Was the first temple of Elune. And it was clearly a Titan facility. And it was clearly a Titan facility with stuff in it that it was based on Night Elves. And, like, did they get changed into that, like, by the Well of Eternity, in much the way that the, uh, the, there are various Murlocs that get turned into the Jinyu? Was, was there, like, a, you know, is that how the Dark Trolls became what they are? We know there was, it was something to do with the Well. There's a lot, a lot of this that we don't really know or understand. We don't really know or understand much about the Titans, despite having actually seen them at this point. We don't really know much about how they are operating or what they were really trying to do. We know they were trying to, quote-unquote, uh, purify Azeroth from the you know, old god, the necrophotic entity's corruption, but exactly how? What were they going for? How did they think this would work? How much of this is, you know, we were told Azeroth is relying on us, but how much of this is Azeroth's conscious mind? Does Azeroth have a conscious mind? What would you call that? Is that, like, you know, is Elune like that? Is she beyond that? Does she come from somewhere else? Is she, like, Azeroth's stepmom? You know, there's a lot of this we don't know, and it's, it's interesting to think about that lack of knowledge, but you can't really make assumptions based on it. Well, I think with that we are we are over our time, which I'm going to start closing things out and bring us bring us to our final thoughts. So, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/slash/BlizzardWatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. As always, please make sure you get our, your questions in if you have any to podcast at BlizzardWatch.com. Just specify in the subject line which of the two podcasts you uh, intend the question for. Or if you are a, a member of our Patreon on our Discord, we do have a chat set aside specifically for those questions. And for those of you that have submitted those questions we didn't get to, don't worry. I still have them. We'll get to them next week. Uh, so final thoughts, y'all. Moving into the Shadowlands expansion with the idea of a loon uh, and just Tyrande and elves in general, if you could have a perfect storm, I guess, of, of those things coalescing, what would it be for you? What would bring you the most joy out of all those pieces coming together in the next expansion? I'll start with you, Crow. Oh, man. Um, hmm. 
there's there's an aspect of there's an there's an element of what I want out of Elune that leans into her as not only a goddess of light but also a goddess of uh, of the natural world because I want to try and find a way to link uh, more strongly the notion of the night elves. Uh, you know, having this relationship with the living world, but also having this relationship with the moon, since that, since the moon itself is something that is so in tune with the natural world itself, um, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that ends up being played out in Ardenfield, because I think that is the place to do it, and it's something that, you know, that's something that's going to resonate for the work, and it's something that's probably going to resonate for post for uh, post Sylvanas Forsaken. Uh, and and uh, for the Nightborn as well. So there's definitely a good cross-factional narrative that I think can touch on all of these things, aside from being something that reveals a lot of information for the Night Elves in particular. But that's that's certainly my perfect storm. Rossi, what about you? Um, hmm. Honestly, I've been thinking about this for a while in terms of, like we, we talked before about like possibly having other forms of Druidism show up. Obviously, the you know Elune priesthood is not druidic; it's it's a priesthood. Uh, I would like to see the, the night elves finally go martial with it to a degree, and I'd like to see there being paladins come out of this, like night elf paladins, who deal with that whole the the, the aspect of Elune as the light in the darkness, mm-hmm. because that's what you know they're a nocturnal people. That's what they are. the The light of Elune is the light that they have. They don't. In a in a world where they didn't have to fight constantly, they wouldn't be running around during the day. They'd be sleeping during the day, and they'd be uh, they'd be active at night. Not that they sleep very much, but you know what I'm saying. They're a nocturnal people. the The reason that the moon is so important to them is in part that heritage of being the dark trolls, of being the the night dwellers who look up and see the light of the moon, and that's that is their light. It's their light in the darkness, and I think that's the whole thing the night warrior refers to in that the darkness is inherently part of that aspect. Elune isn't just the moon in the sky. She's the night. That's why they're the night elves. That's why Calderai literally means children of the stars. Mm-hmm. But they chose to call themselves night elves. Uh, and that's because, you know, you, that's when you see the stars that night. There, there are people that are they're made up very much in that. So I, I want to see that aspect. I want to see like night elves finally go martial with it and have paladins as well as priests. Um, I think it's been a long time on that one, and I think they've been teasing it for a long time. Uh, we saw tease, them tease it pretty hard in Legion, where they actually had a night elf join the paladin order. So yeah, I think that's more than enough time for that that one to actually get done. And then I'd like to see what would I think to a certain degree Crow kind of talked about it in that idea of it having consequences because. All the other night elves sort of turned away from Elune. Because mm-hmm. Elune was their original goddess. Like, this goes back like well before Ashara was ever born, well before they had much of an empire. As they were first starting out into the world, Elune was their goddess. And if you look at like even the 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 druids today who have arcane spells, what are those arcane spells? Stuff like Moonfire. Yep. That's an arcane spell and it's drawing on the power of the moon. So there is a possibility for Arcane to work with the moon. Imagine if Elune started making inroads among the other elves. Like right now, the the the, the Blood Elves, if they pray to anything, it's to just the light itself. And they didn't for a while. They they'd given even that up. And now even, it's sort of you know, even even their even their paladins is just light. Yeah. 
So they don't have a divinity as such because they turn their back on Elune because the priesthood of Elune wouldn't let them do arcane magic. But if they do allow that now, could you see like priests of Elune reaching out to the other elven people? Could that even, if you want to have Taronda as your big bad in a game today, imagine if she actually starts a race war. Yeah. You know, Ooh. that's something that she might do. She might reach out to the other elves. She might say to the Nightborn, do you want to be part of these people who burn cities? What do you think is going to happen if they ever decide to burn yours? And, and you mean, that's even a case you can make to the blood elves. Cause they're not too far away. Yeah. There's, there's an interesting, like, I mean, I don't think it would work because I think they'd basically be more afraid of her than they would be of the Lord at this point, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, but there's, there's a, there's a, a well, you need to see what Ardenweald is and how it works with all this. But if we see that Elune is tied to this cycle of like life and rebirth and death, that's supposedly, you know, Ardenweald exists for things to die and go there and their anima, their essence to be passed back into the natural world. If Elune is tied to that cycle, one of the reasons that she might not have stopped what Sylvanas was doing was that she couldn't. Like, you, and the weird thing is, if you read that short story, Elune does act, but she acts by putting them all to sleep so they don't suffer. Why? Hmm. No. Was that just was it a was it a case of her just being you know this is all I can do, or did she need them? Did she need their souls because she's underpowered or burned so much of it already? Yeah. Yeah, was she bringing them to her to use them herself? Like, you know, denying Sylvanas and her master their souls and taking them for herself. That's, I mean, I don't know, but it's something that I'd like to see dealt with. Now, you hit on something that I've been thinking about for a little while, too, and this is something that uh, I was talking about with a bunch of my friends locally, which is Night Elf Paladins. And it's more of a case of if we can have blood elf paladins, why can't the night elf be paladins? And you sort of hit on it where they've, they've for the for the most part, it's it's complicated with their divinity as far as as elves in general go. For me, that perfect storm would be a combination of all of the divergent paths of elven like pathos sort of coming together, or elven, elven ethos coming together. Where, with the introduction of Ardenweld, we get to understand more about Elune and the cycle and how it's tied in there. But then we start to see how nature, arcane, and the embrace of Elune could be combined into essentially making elf paladins that can touch all of that. That can tap into that, that understand what Elune is finally. And have their faith, uh, I don't want to say rewarded or boldened but sort of expanded upon. And I think this would be a really cool opportunity. We talked about having like the fire druids, but I think the idea of having night elf paladins in this capacity is something that could one easily and tidily be tied up within the convergence of all of these aspects. And two, I think would be really interesting for development is to further of the, the elven story, because that's what, breakers were spell breakers were originally is sort of the elven version of a paladin that touched on like arcane energies why not have something that taps into the arcane alune and that nature which seems to be at least from the descriptions of ardenweld what goes on in ardenweld yeah i mean if you look at scenarius who's how many times has that dude died and come back oh yeah scenarius's mom is a loon yeah yep right and that's never really we don't really ever stop to it's think never been about dealt with yeah 
you know, Scenarius's mother is a loon directly. And, a loon is his mother. And Scenarius so, is responsible for teaching the druids. Yeah, but that's just think about what that means in terms of what a loon is. Whatever a loon is, she can give birth to Scenarius. Yep. And coincidentally, Scenarius looks like half a night elf and half a deer. Yeah, well, because dad was a deer. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I know that's that's the thing. He's not getting the night elf part from his dad. He's getting the deer no. part from his dad, which must mean that, you know, that the, the night elf part of it has got to come from the Alun side of things. Because well, it's not coming at the from Temple the of Alun. Yeah, I agree with you there, because if you look at the Temple of Alun, and I know we're going way long, Joe, I'm sorry. No, uh, you're if you fine. look at the Temple of Alun, there's all those images that would look like night elves. Yep. But what if they're not night elves? They're pictures of Alun. Yep. Just every one of those. And what if it was Elune in the temple who's using the four Titan, uh, the, the Pillars of Creation? I keep wanting to call it the Pillars of Eternity. I hate that, but that game was pretty good. So, um, so <laughs> if, what if, if they're using the Pillars of Creation, if it's Elune who's supposed to be using them, and one of them is the Tear of Elune, mm-hmm. what if I, I, just there needs to be more part of me dealt with on this before I can say anything? But it part, part of me something there. Part of me still feels like a loon is an entity that sits at the top of Ardenweld and has been manifesting using the spirit of that energy or of that realm to manifest and affect the material plane or as has been happening. And that the soul drought is intrinsically linked with the loon expending so much power recently. Like, that's kind of what I want to see. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see like this, this light infused nature thrown and upon it sits this, you know, almost Aladrin esque loon. Yeah. I'd sign up for that. That sounds great. If we don't if we don't stop talking, we'll never get out of here. So <laughs> but thank you all for joining us. Crow, thank you so so much for joining us this week. Um I wasn't going to do this earlier, but I'm gonna do it now because I feel like it happy birthday. Uh I hope I hope that you had fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And everybody, we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.